0: Welcome to Twice Five Miles Radio, fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering. I'm your host, James Nave, always airing first on WPVMLP, Asheville 103.7, streaming online, WPVMFM.org. The voice of Asheville heard all over the world. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song. If you'd like to reach out to me, nave at jamesnave.com. Today, I have a returning guest, Peter Himmelman. Peter is a singer-songwriter and a Jewish thought leader, as you will discover when you listen to this interview. In our conversation, Peter addresses at great length the conflict between Israel and Hamas, and Peter takes a strong pro-Israel stand, which may or may not run counter to your position on the Israeli Hamas conflict. From this point on, be forewarned because Peter does not shy away from talking about issues of war. That said, we start our conversation in a very unexpected place. I ask him to reflect on nature, light, and the meaning of life on earth. So Peter begins by reflecting on time, trees, and midnight
1: what do the trees think about midnight the way our time is set up as opposed to a lunar calendar it's very arbitrary that the new day begins at midnight what happens at midnight I follow a lunar calendar the Jewish calendar is lunar so the day begins when the sun sets so the new day begins when it gets dark let's say on a Friday night And the day ends when a new day begins, 24 hours later, when the sun sets again. And that 24 hours is a completely random division. It means nothing. But I I would say that given the movement of the planets, which is how we humans keep track of anything, whether it's sands in an hourglass or the spinning of the earth, there's something that is actually happening relative to our being motionless, something's happening in motion around us. And I would dare say that the trees are very aware of that in in whatever way trees are aware of anything. And whether the trees are concerned about the machinations of human beings there are wars and our grievances our terrors our hopes and dreams i don't know about that probably they care as much about us as we care about their feelings were they to have feelings at all that leads me more directly into your question this is a portentous time or maybe that isn't the right word a portent is sort of a warning of something that's happening for me this is happening now from October 7th until now my life has been entirely changed you know I have friends and family by not six degrees but maybe one degree of separation whose daughter had been tortured and killed these people to me are our family so it's hard to sleep without thinking about them about two months ago i was in new york city and sort of randomly by by happenstance although i i don't believe in that i always believe there's something providential pushing me in whatever direction i go i was i guess you could say unfortunate enough to have seen that 45-minute film directly from the gopro cams of the hamas terrorists I watched it volitionally. We sat in a conference room in Midtown Manhattan. You had to be on a special list they checked you out. There was about 14 or 15 people in the room. And there was a naval commander from the Israeli IDF and he was a military attaché for the UN and I'm going to try to do his voice as best I can. He was in full dress in a bank opened by the president of the bank who had flown in from Israel. And the naval commanders, very somber tones, the whole, the whole mood was grave. Uh, we welcome you here to uh, watch the presentation. It is, uh, will likely be the most horrifying thing that uh, you've ever seen in your lives it is uh not a hollywood movie by any means it is uh, taken from four angles the the first angle is from the gopro camera of the hamas terrorists themselves the other is uh, cct uh, cameras of the israelis uh, from uh, nursery schools and kindergartens and homes the other from the uh, dash cam cameras from mostly from people that uh, were killed or tried to escape from the nova festival and the other is uh, iphone cameras of the uh, people that were being killed or taken hostage some of this film was taken on their iphones by a Hamas terrorists that the uh, people had been killed if you feel uh, that you need to leave at any time uh, many people that have seen it do uh, please don't uh, be afraid, and uh, with that, use the film. You know, my friend asked me, "Well, how how is this different? Let's say, how is it different from the worst kind of grotesque Hollywood movie? It is different in kind. It is categorically different. And I'm not going to give you any gory details. The worst." part about it were the sounds some of the sounds were very prosaic a radio playing in the kitchen in the morning so you can imagine that one of the terrorists had his gopro camera mounted on his chest and while he was quietly cutting through the screen with a box cutter you could at first hear the radio playing some sort of pop music Those two things side by side, the normal life and the normal life suspended and destroyed in one brief 20 second thing, it stays with you. I came home from that event and I stayed up late and I wrote about it and it was about two in the morning and, you know, I was sort of lost, but I got into bed. My wife had been sleeping for a long time and I was just racked with sobs in a way that i i haven't cried and i don't i can't remember how long my wife was holding me my daughter had warned me don't see this you're you're like you're sensitive it's gonna break you but it didn't break me it just wounded me
0: say more about the wounding how did it wound you that's a hard thing to watch what happened in the wounding and how are you dealing with that sensibility, and how do you frame that burden from the big picture point of view? Do you have a big picture point of view yeah. that's more global in terms of all of the people that are involved
1: in this scenario? Yeah, I do have a big picture view, and I'll, I'll get to that in a second. If I don't, just nudge me and remind me. The way that I thought about it at first, and especially even on October 7th, we were in brooklyn seeing a new grandson of ours who had just been born a day before and everything was changed so this incredible joy turned into this hammer down on our joy it reminded me i have my younger sister was killed in a car accident about 25 years ago or so i felt like that except now encroaching on the question of you know broader world except right after October 7, there were protests starting all over the world, anti-Jewish, anti-Israel, before Israel even had done anything, before there were any incursions of any sort. And it was very much as though my sister had died. But on top of that, the whole world or much of the world was screaming about how her death, which happened at the, at the hands of a woman who had fallen asleep at the wheel in a, on a country road in Wisconsin, they were taking their kids home from summer camp, as though my sister were at fault, as though she were to blame. Sometimes I'm at a loss for words. I'm typically pretty languorous, but sometimes I'm just stymied looking for the right ways to describe things. Why do you think the blame was falling on her? What was there was no blame on her whatsoever. It was as if after 107 that everyone was blaming Israel go. they were blaming the Jews. As much as people say, you know, anti-Israel isn't anti-Jewish, it it exactly is anti-Jewish because it is the only Jewish country in the world. I'm not so much a staunch Zionist, which is sort of a political movement. I guess you could say I'm supportive of the idea. But what I really support is the 7 million Jews that live there. And when they come under attack i become ferocious myself i've been to israel more times than i could possibly remember and we can get into all the history and the complexities i've made basically a life study of the whole thing and i could probably in a lincoln douglas debate argue the palestinian side fairly well although i do come down on the side of the jews ultimately for sure on an emotional level. Growing up in Minneapolis, where it was common for me to hear, you effing Jew, why do Jews have big noses? Because the air is free and they'd throw pennies on the ground and say, pick up the penny, you effing Jew, as if only Jews were interested in money. And then you'd either have to cower or fight. And I was a bit of a fighter not that it made it better or worse, it's just a choice that somebody made. I also believe in some way in what people call a genetic memory. We are moved and motivated by the same sorts of things that our ancestors have been motivated by. The history of pogroms, which is a word specifically made for terrorism against Jews which have gone on throughout the millennia or in one instance I had to go back to my whole like late junior high experiences. Those are indelible and you, know, you can't get rid of them. It was like the first year of, of ninth grade. And there was this gang of guys that used to smoke in the hall, and supposedly tough guys. There was four of them. And as I was rounding the corner, they were like hip checking because it's Minnesota and they know how to like hockey, hip checking a bunch of people, kids, other kids into the hall, like pretty brutally. But I noticed there's like Maury Epstein and my cousin Elaine Camel and, you know, Sam Shapiro and all the people that they were hip checking were selectively Jews. And I stopped in the middle of the hall in front of them and just stopped there. And one of the guys smashed me in my face. It was the first time I'd ever been hit roundly in the face. And my nose was gushing blood and I didn't really start a fight with them. I just stood there and glared at them. And that was kind of the end of their hip checking. It's a weird tribal association that I have. When I see atrocities being committed against Jews, it's, it's, it's familial. Certainly doesn't make me insensitive to the pain of others. And this is a kind of a strange thing. Well, how can you be prioritizing your association with Jews? and not have a universal consciousness. And to that I say, you know, I love my brother, his name is Paul, more than I love my best friend, whose name is Jeff. There's a hierarchy there. And I love Jeff more than I love a casual acquaintance and so on and so on. But the hierarchy of love, the fact that I love my brother the most, doesn't impede my ability to love other people. It informs it.
0: So from the Palestinian point of view, you said you could argue that side or reflect on that side. You have the heaviness of your Jewish experience. Can you reflect a bit on the Palestinian point of view? How are you interacting with that? And what does that mean to you or does it have deep meaning for you?
1: Yeah, of course it has deep meaning. One thing that's not understood in our culture, especially in a left to the dial sense is the history of jews in the land of israel it was unbroken you know there was an exile it was essentially a greek and then a roman exile i am in america because of the roman exile from israel that's a serious thing i have been displaced 2700 years ago and all the peoples of the world have been moving around the people that lived in palestine were under the ottoman empire And for them, looking from their perspective, whether they were there for thousands of years or a hundred years, which is about four or five generations, it doesn't matter to them. People cannot even conceive of what a hundred years is like if you haven't lived a hundred years. It seems like an infinite amount of time. And the people that live there that were displaced by the british by the emirs in the ottoman empire the absentee landowners who had sold their land to jews it was never necessarily the people who worked the olive trees and so on it's it's no different than in in any other place any people that is displaced from their land it's a horrible and unsettling feeling i don't know it personally but i know a lot of emigres personally people from Iran that had been moved out, it's a horrible experience. The difference is, I guess, is that the governance of the Palestinians never allowed the people to reform a proactive, productive nation. The kleptocracy of the PLO, the merciless, mafioso-like behavior of Hamas and Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, the Houthis. All of these are funded through Iran, which is a sophisticated, first world, radical Islamist theocracy. All of Hamas and all these different groups are taking advantage of the people that they supposedly or ostensibly rule. They're taxing them. And what they're doing is staying in power by creating this everlasting grievance against Israel. One thing they neglected to do is just build up their own society. I'm
0: wondering, you mentioned mafioso, the mafia, organized Mm -hmm. crime. I've often thought a way of understanding the global situation, and we don't hear this much on podcasts. I don't hear it much in conversations. Yet organized crime, the criminal syndicates, starting wherever you want in the world, they're well entrenched. They seem to have more influence in all of this than people talk about. You know, for example, Putin. Exactly. I'm inclined yeah. to think Putin is close to a godfather. One of the things Putin has that nobody else in the world has, he owns all of Russia. He's the only world's trillionaire. I mean, Forbes listing won't put him there, but he has that, and I know that Putin – was there when the Soviet Union fell and became Russia. All they had to sell were arms and guns. They sold them through Adnan Khashoggi and all the other arms dealers back in the 80s. So all of that was going on. And I would like for you to reflect on the aspects of organized crime, because you have, what is it? You have India, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Yemen, Saudi. So all of that's, To the east of the Mediterranean, where Israel is, and then Gaza, which is right on the sea. So when I think about what's going on in Israel between Hamas and and Israel, I also think about the war in Ukraine, the the global thing. So how
1: does that all fit into this? I'm not a political theorist by any means. I'm a musician, but I do take a great interest in this. And and my perspective is inform better than some. And a lot of this is clean from my own life experiences. If you look at the axis that's forming, you have sort of a syndicate that includes North Korea. It includes, as you just mentioned, certain parts of Yemen. It includes Iraq, certain parts, certain parts of Syria, because not everyone is allied with this axis. You have Russia, you have China, you have people that are ruled by autocrats. I just have to make this comment or this caveat. There's there's so many people that I run into that are by nature reflexively anti-American. It's sort of a new thing. You see this on campuses. You see it on the streets. Why are people supporting Hamas? Where does it come from? E- even people in Gaza hate Hamas, although they love what they did on 10-7. It's like something like 79% are completely supportive of whatever they were doing. It goes on and on and on. But they hate Hamas because their governance is so horrible and they're just ripping them off the leaders of Hamas are all billionaires. I mean, that's a fact. And what do you see? You see these this axis, like Putin, like you just said, a total fascism, a total autocracy. America is not that way. Australia is not that way. France, Canada, New Zealand is not that way. Germany is not that way. Great Britain is not that way. Is it fair to say that we have a better system? Does one deign, does one dare to say that it's better to have that system? I do. I spent three months touring in the Soviet Union in 1988. My wife and I were first married. We played the Caucasus, Kazakhstan. Tajikistan. I mean, we should have been playing Cleveland, but I had this opportunity from a coke-addled manager, and we took it. I was in the Soviet Union, and it wasn't even Putin's time. I knew that if I were there, I would be tortured under the Kremlin in about five seconds. The lack of freedom, the total surveillance... America is nothing like that. I'm already foreshadowing people saying, well, America sucks too, man. No, it actually doesn't, because we're talking about whatever we want on this podcast, and you'll be able to broadcast it. You'll be able to say whatever the hell it is you want to say. You'll be able to march in the streets, waving your green flags, calling for jihad, calling for uprising, calling for Example, in the Brooklyn uh, protest, they're calling it the Al-Aqsa Flood. Come to the Al-Aqsa Flood in Brooklyn, the name of the protest. The flood in Arabic is what they called the atrocities of 10-7. Well, in America, you can still do that. America is superior to many other countries, certainly in that axis. And if that's not your way of thinking, everything I'm saying is going to just fall to the ground with a thud. What Israel is doing is protecting in some way Western liberal values. And if those values are not important to you, the freedom of the press, the freedom to speak your mind, the freedom to create a great life for yourself, to have ownership over property. If you think property ownership is sort of a bad thing, if you think the meritocracy is something that needs to be overcome, well, you're not going to understand Israel's position. You're not going to understand the power of innovation, of medicine, of technology, things that are proactive and help the world instead of terroristic acts that destroy the world. As I mentioned, a portent, the world is definitely on the cusp of a Third World War. It starts in different streams. It doesn't start all at once. The Houthis start blocking the Red Sea and blocking access to the Suez Canal. That's how things start. You could look around you. And Israel is sort of at the center of it. And sadly, the nations of the world even those allied nations that I spoke about, United States and Britain and France and Germany, why aren't they taking charge? Why aren't they doing something?
0: Well, I'm not a policymaker, so I don't know, but I am thinking from my point of view, if I could take charge, Peter, I have no idea what I would do. I don't know what kind of strategy I would use because there's so many moving parts, so many things going on all at the same time. And I agree with you, America, I can do this podcast. I'm nodding, going, sure, I'll air it on WPVMFM, no problem. Air it in Taos, people will hear it. I'll put it on SoundCloud, people will hear it. This is an important conversation. And yet, I also think, even though this country has all of those fabulous resources, underneath it, you still have that sheen of the organized globalist criminal activity that's going on. It's not that we are sanctioning it necessarily, it has no borders. And that's what is interesting to me and it's also what is concerning. I don't have any access to that. I have no idea how that works. I think of the organized criminal uh, activities in some of those big gambling uh, arenas in Southeast Asia. I think of the people here coming to the Southern border, And I heard in the news a couple of days ago, people from all over the world are coming. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, most of those people have hired somebody to help them get there. It's a huge organization that's running this. It's not just a bunch of random people that ride on a train and show up at the border and say, here, pick me. It's very, very organized. And I thought, my gosh, people are coming from Africa. They're coming from Asia. They're coming from all over the place. They're showing up there on the Southern border. Somebody... is behind that. It's not just random folks who are a little dissatisfied with their neighborhood and they travel 12,000 miles to get there. So I don't know how I would manage it. There must be some kind of strategy.
1: You know, there are a few strategies, you know, that I'm aware of and they're very complex, maybe not for this podcast, but let me give you one example. I've been teaching for about eight, nine years now at Northwestern University both at Kellogg and and more often at the Medill School of Journalism and Strategic Marketing what i learned recently after 107 was that the Medill School has taken the largest sum of money not per capita but of any school in the world from Cutter. Cutter is basically a slave holding state. They're not the good guys. The only reason that America's, you know, not sort of warring with them, a cold war or whatever, is that they've allowed America to use their their country as a as a base. And and Cutter is strategic. These people are so smart. Sometimes people have this idea that. Well, these desert dwellers, you know, its a very prejudicial idea. These Iranians, Iranians, Hamas, are, they're brilliant people. They're organized. So what I learned was, I don't know how many hundreds of millions of dollars Medill has taken from Qatar. And I spoke to the people that I work with there, and I just said, I'm out. I'm not going to teach at a school. That takes money from Qatar. Qatar is housing Hamas, protecting them, weaseling their way into the West. Why do they give so much money to the Medill School of Journalism, do you imagine? And this is a, a, apropos of what you said about a, a larger strategy. Al Jazeera is based and funded by Qatar of course they want to influence young journalists around the world to their point of view qatar is a radical islamist supporting country this is what they do this is what china does to a now to a lesser extent because they don't have as much disposable income i suppose and you're talking about influences that come into america Whenever I see the name Cutter come across and they're they're sort of managing the release of the hostages, sort of like, we'll handle this for you. There are two babies there. One is four and one is now, uh, I think, about a year and a month. Ariel and Fear Boss are their names. They're under tunnels in Gaza. I've recently written a song for them. Is anyone calling for the release of these young girls who are 13 and 18 years old that have been raped and molested? You call on the streets for a ceasefire. There was a ceasefire in place on October 6th. Hamas broke it. The people that are marching in the streets by the hundreds of thousands with their kafiyas, they have no idea what they're marching for.
0: All of these people who are behind this that you're talking about, they believe as deeply in their cause as you believe in yours, I believe in mine. Are they
1: completely wrong? I think a lot of people march, especially students. They march just the same way they used to wear Che Guevara t-shirts. Che Guevara was good looking. I'm not being facetious. If he didn't have that cool beret and smoked that cool cigarette, People that wore the shirts know nothing about Che Guevara in large proportion. He was a cool guy to have on your shirt. The 20-year-old people marching with kafias. how many of them understand anything about the intricacies of what's going on? The oppressor versus the oppressed. It's this two broad categories that have come out of academia. The oppressor versus the oppressed. It's a tragically base way to look at the world. You and I sitting in the comfort of our homes with an expensive microphone and a great setup and you're going to Manila on a jet, you are part of the oppressor class. You certainly are. And the people that went to Brown that are marching in the street whose parents paid for their kids to get in there They are also part of the oppressor class. If you're deemed an oppressor, anything that happens to you is okay. Israel, with its success over 70 short years, a tiny country that you can cross from east to west at a narrow band on a 15-minute bicycle ride. But I would wager to say that the vast marching majority don't understand what's going on. How do those pictures of all those people come about, those dead and injured people, which is horrific from Gaza? Well, Gaza is run by Hamas. Hamas is very strategic. Yeah, yes, yeah, Sinwar, the leader of Hamas, is known to be a literal psychopath, just like other politicians we might have in our own country and around the world. The plan, which had been going on now for 17 years, to build this basically city underground that cost billions of dollars, it could have been invested in making the Gazas into a Dubai, into something productive, was used to destroy Jews. The charter of Hamas calls for the death of Jews in Israel and Jews wherever they are in the world. Do people understand that? I don't think they do. How do the pictures come about? Well, they shoot the rockets from mosques and school. You hear that so often, you, you don't make sense of it. What does that mean? First of all, it's a war crime. And then, well, what do you do? Somebody asked me, well, Peter, what, don't they have special forces that can kind of sneak in there? Don't they have some sort of technological ways to do that without hurting people? it's not magic. Of course, they're using every means at their disposal. But when you have a terroristic regime 1.5 kilometers away from you, what do you want people to do? What if it was your daughter under that tunnel system? It's war, a declaration of war. It's also something that brings you to new legal levels. You, you're now under the jurisdiction of other rules. People understand that war isn't an operation or a skirmish. And those that don't understand it, well, why aren't you pumping in water and electricity? Just like we did for the Germans, just like we did for the Japanese, that isn't done in a time of war. Only Israel is asked to do that.
0: I want to track a little more. When I was asking the question about Mm -hmm. are they all bad, I was thinking more of not the 20 year old people on the street. You're 20, you only have so much education at 20, you have your entire life ahead of you. There's a lot of understanding that comes over the period of time, a lot of evolution. I was thinking about the people that you said that are really smart, the leaders of Hamas, the leaders in Iran. These people have a commitment, something that's driving them
1: Good, bad, what's going on so with now, that? Now, now you're bringing up two difficult questions, good and bad. This is where we, we would take off. Do you believe that there's objective morality in the world? Or is it completely subjective based on the circumstances?
0: I think it's subjective. And the reason I think it's subjective is because each one of us, we have to make that calculation on our own. And we're influenced by our history, our upbringing, our, as you said, our DNA, theory of memetics. Ideas are transmitted memetically, some people think, by the DNA. If I do something enough, it gets into my system and I can pass it on to
1: you. I think it might be subjective, or at least it's subjective on my part. I was asked about 17 years ago, maybe more, by this botanist friend of mine to come and speak at a high school. It was a high school for rich kids in in California, in Los Angeles. And what was the topic? Topic was, is there such thing as objective morality? And this botanist was, you know, at the time, he's 20 years older than me. So he thought I would be better able to relate to the kids. So he stood me up there. I was just kind of winging it. And I came to the school. It was in a gym. The kids were on bleachers. And I asked them, I just read in the paper that morning, just so happened, you know, I I read in the LA Times, there was an article about a bus that had gone traveling in Northern China because the bus was full and perhaps because the culture doesn't necessarily prize females as much as males. I've heard that. I don't know how true it is but they strapped five toddler girls to the top of the bus because there wasn't room. They kind of put them on the top. Well, the girls froze to death because it was cold. And I asked the students, is this right or wrong that they put the girls up there? And is it wrong? Well, 10% of the kids raised their hand. Just 10%, is it wrong? Was it wrong not to think about those girls and put them in the cold? What do you think, Nave? They put them up
0: there for what reason
1: again? Because they had to get them somewhere up north. I don't know why. They didn't fit in the bus. So they put them up on top and they died. I would say that's wrong. There was a couple more little sort of ethics riffs that I got on. And they were basically the same. Ten wrong, 90% can't say it's wrong. Who am I to judge was the ninety percent thing. Who am I to judge another culture of in regards to those Chinese girls? Finally, it got to be really heavy. I kept it, you know, sort of funny, and the kids were engaged. And there was one girl at the top of the bleachers who just looked like a leader. She was funny. I could tell she was smart. I said, okay, let's come down to the floor. Let me just put this thought experiment in front of you, okay? It's hypothetical. There were five teachers watching this, and they were getting upset with me. I could tell. And I really didn't give a damn. I wasn't getting paid. I'm probably never going to come back again. I was just like I, I'm interested in where these kids are coming from. Okay, so somebody breaks into your house, right or wrong, and everyone, the kids are laughing, and I, I can't say. I can't judge. Okay, they tie up your mom. To a chair. The girl, she was sort of stymied. She was flummoxed. I can't. I I can't say. I said, okay. I'm so sorry to do this to you, but it's hypothetical. God forbid it should ever come to pass. But they kill your mom. She says, I can't say it's wrong. And even now, my heart is kind of pounding because I I recall the moment so clearly. And she says, this is one of the ethos of the school. And I look at the teachers and they walk out. I took the mic, I threw it on the ground and I left. There are certain things that are right. And there are certain things that are wrong. In my opinion, there's objective morality. You do not for any reason, take a young girl or any woman and rape her. You do not kidnap the elderly, the infants, ever, for any reason whatsoever. You do not do those things. There isn't anything to think about. There's no consideration. It's just wrong. Now, I have an opinion that right and wrong comes from a creative force with a capital C and an F. The native tendency of people is to go wild. Our job as human beings is to harness that instinct and that impulse. But it's not necessarily natural to subdue sexual needs. It's not natural for a person not to want to take something that's not his or hers. It's not natural to avoid Stepping over people to get where you want to go, to becoming a fascist autocrat. You have to rein in those tendencies. And the people that we despise, and we know who they are, are people that did not do that. And if you have an ideology such as the mullahs in Iran, such as Hamas, such as Hezbollah, that death is better than life, that there's going to be 72 virgins waiting there for you. If that's your ideology and it's real, people cannot countenance it's real in our hubris Because we're so influenced by our superior Western ideology, we can't countenance that it's real and we poo poo it and we laugh about it. If that's your ideology, it's not good, it's bad. And I have no compunctions about saying that. If you unleash a pogrom against innocent people, it's bad.
0: And yet, flipping that, the people that unleash something like that, they think it's good, and they would argue, you're bad. And I'm wondering, how come there's such a range in our humanity? Where does that come from? And I wonder, as I look out sometimes on the natural world, I see the deer go by, they're animals, I see the foxes, the coyotes, whatever happens to be out there. And and we're animals too. We have a different behavior I don't think that we're animals. Well, I think animals in the sense that we belong on this earth
1: Yes, we as, have... a spe- as a
0: species. And I use the term animal mm-hmm. in the most uh, generous, comprehensive way of saying, OK, I'm looking across the drive at the deer that walked by Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sharing this earth. I don't mind thinking of myself as a human animal that behaves a certain way. Now, the, and there's harmony, natural harmony. Which what I mean natural harmony is back to the sun going down at to begin the day. I think there is a natural harmony that exists. And they were always
1: trying to find that. See, it's funny that the natural harmony, and I think I know exactly what you mean. It's like it moves, it's there, the clouds and the coyotes. We exist in it, although we don't belong in it entire, because we have the ability to break the harmony. And we see it so often. A guy that beats his wife, he's so frustrated by what she isn't giving him. Now that I say is analogous to the mullahs of Iran, let's say. Now that person who punches his wife because she didn't whatever, he is rationalizing that especially at the time he's doing that. There's a rationalization. Well, she deserved it. No matter how intensely he believes that, no matter how intensely he justifies it or rationalizes it or superiorizes it, that's not even a word, and I just made that up, it, it doesn't make it good. It doesn't make it good. It's still bad. Bad, And I give you, I grant you that people believe strongly in things, but sometimes the things that say Putin believes, I don't care how strongly he believes in it. It doesn't make it good. When I do things that are wrong, I will also rationalize it. And I do plenty of things that are wrong. But because I have a basis of objective morality, I can then later say that was screwed up and I can adjust if the basis of your morality is inherently wrong. It rests on a foundation of murdering people in cold blood, that that becomes a proactive activity that you celebrate, that you need everyone to give you their money, to pay obeisance to you, or to become your religion and share your belief system. Well, that's just plain old wrong.
0: What I like about where you're headed, I like the way you are willing to stand on everything you believe. I like the way you thought it out. I like the way you articulate it. I think it's really important as an example for all of us to pay attention to what we think. And I think it is important to make a stand. I mean, as I think of objective reality, I'm inclined in that direction. I don't think murdering people is good. I don't think raping or pillaging or hanging people from trees is a good thing. I find it very difficult to understand why somebody would go in those directions as a solution to human community. I don't know why people do that. So I appreciate objective morality. I also think I can understand why somebody might go off the rails and do something that I would find completely in the opposite direction. I am willing to say, okay, What's going on there? I may end up concluding that their actions are horrible and they're bad and they're wrong, but I'm willing to say, okay, wait a minute. What's happening here? I could try that shirt on for a moment and see what what works or doesn't work for me.
1: I think it's incredibly important to keep trying on that shirt. Empathy is one of the most wonderful human capacities to understand exactly what motivates someone, it doesn't change that I can empathize with, let's say, Hamas. I I understand if they are taking on this fundamentally cruel base and evil ideology, I can then understand, well, ergo, they would do X, Y, Z. Empathy doesn't mean agreement. It means understanding where people are coming from. Generally, the power of empathy, or quite often, creates greater love. Sometimes it calls for war. I am using my social capital on this issue because I think it's coming our way. I mean, I've been in touch with military leaders from Israel, from the United States, for some weird reason, good friends in these positions. And I'm speaking to them twice a week. It's coming fast. And this isn't even delving into the election. Whatever it is that we've learned about how to love and how to be, and what are those principles that are right, we're gonna really need to hold on to those tighter than we ever have at any point in our mm-hmm. lives.
0: Well, we may be looking at a hundred years or more of this disruption. We've got climate change. We've got people leaning in the direction of the authoritarian totalitarian model. We have massive amounts of cash floating around the world, more billionaires than we know what to do with, and they are living in their own world and the world has no rules. It has no laws. It has no borders. A friend of mine asked me the other day, Tony Houston, and he said, well, I'm just concerned with the world. I mean, it's all just going to hell in a handcart. What can you do? (laughs) I said, well, if the earth disappeared tomorrow, the cosmos wouldn't notice. And I said, then when it goes, we will only have the void. And I said, you know, Tony, come to think of it, there's more void than there is anything else. I said, so when I wake up in the morning, and this is back to the sunrise, sunset, I've always thought of the sunlight as abundant. But it's
1: actually rare. There's not much light in the void. You talk about the void, the empty space isn't really void. It's impossible for a person to conceive of a real void, because True. we can only think in physical sense. Empty space is plenty of something. pre-physicality, pre-space, pre-time, which is totally inconceivable. Even a void by that definition is not nothing. Nothing has no definition, and you can't say that it has no definition because there you, you find it.
0: I'm still thinking about objective morality, and
1: there's an objective something. It may not be morality. What does objective mean? So let me put my cards on the table. I hate to use the word God because it's an English word that is not descriptive. In other words, Christian anthropomorphic description is what the first thing that we think about, a guy in a cloud. Judaism, especially the mystical dimension, has nothing to do with anthropomorphism, nothing at all. There's an expression called "ain old mivado." Me it means it's hard to even put it into English. There is none other than the oneness. That means that space isn't an individual thing, even the void. We are not individuals. We are projections of this oneness. There's nothing that's outside. The oneness both inhabits and transcends. Again, we can only use physical abstract metaphors because it's not physical at all. This, this oneness. In a sense, there is only God. And God, again, try to think past all the limitations that that word has. I don't use it often. Although in my new book, I had to write a caveat In the beginning, the author's note, like, why do I choose to use that word? And why about a book about faith did I deliberate over using the word God? Because it has so many weird ramifications. That creative force, which created intelligence and created the sense of good and evil in us, what artist doesn't know intimately her creations? doesn't have the capacity within her in order to make manifest those things. So this brings me back to what I
0: was saying when Tony and I were sitting in the coffee shop. He was wondering, well, what in the world can I do about the world right now? What can I do? And I said, there's only one thing you can really do. When you go up to the counter to order your coffee and the barista gives you your coffee, you can look back at the barista and
1: say, thank you i appreciate it that's oh my god now now you can do what you can do in your circle and it's qualitative you can empower people for good within your sphere think that what's happening by the way is fundamentally bad i think that it's horrifying There is a literal war and sort of a metaphysical war going on. Something broke on 10-7. It started with the Jews, as many things do. And it's breaking open and people are going to have to take a side. That's a very difficult thing to have to take a side. Are you going to side with North Korea? or Putin, or Ahmadinejad, or Sinoir, are you going to ally yourself with them? And and again, I guess most people don't really have to take a side. Most people just have to treat the person at the cashier nicely. Maybe that's a side that they need to take. I have no interest in politics, but I do have interest in upholding something that I believe is true. I do have interest in protecting people and using my voice to protect people that are innocent. Are the Gazan citizens that are getting killed or most of them innocent? Yes. Do I think it's Israel's fault that they're getting killed? No, it's Hamas's fault. So if you have a fundamentalist belief that paradise is preferred over
0: life, and it matters that you die more than it matters that you live
1: yes and it matters very much that you die there are strategies in place one is very quickly is that hamas takes the taxes from people on every fish that's sold israel needs to find some power whether it's just little groups that can use military power to prevent Hamas from taking everyone's money. They have to take the money away from Hamas and you need guns to do that. You need to create power structures that wrest the money away from this large power structure in order to free the people to some extent. Organized crime people like Tony Soprano and the you know the idea was they never deal with civilians that's their ethos whether they participate in or not Hamas doesn't have that they're endangering strategically their civilian people so that their part of their war aim is to show the pictures of of what Israel is doing mm-hmm. and Israel knows this very well to show to the world to gather more support for their cause
0: and i do have enough background to look at this picture and know I better be very careful about expressing how much I understand because I know I don't understand. But what I can do is I can take the side of the person right in front of me and somehow energetically by making that decision to empathize, to say thank you. I have to believe if you're talking about this great oneness, I have to believe the great oneness will... Appreciate that gesture as much as all the others. So, Peter, I just realized we are right at the top of our hour. Since you are the one right in front of me, thank you very much. And is there anything you would like to say before we go?
1: Nave, I love what you do. I really do. And I had a great time just hanging with you. As I me. love this.
0: Dude. I love this. This is fantastic.
1: Okay, my friend, I'll, I'm right. off.
0: I'm catching the flight a little later. Send this me afternoon. some cool
1: photos of Manila.
0: Oh, okay. I d- Have you been to Manila? No, I just send me something outside your window. I'll, I'll send you some stuff. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. scene. Okay, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, Navi. There you go, my friends. Thus concludes my conversation with Peter Hemelman. I will be thinking about objective morality for a long time to come. I'm still not sure exactly how to wrap my head around that. Time will tell. Meanwhile, thank you for tuning into twice five miles radio fertile ground for conversations worth listening to and remembering i'm your host james nave always airing first on wpvmlp Asheville, 103.7 and streaming online WPVMFM.org, the voice of Asheville, heard all over the world and on other community radio stations like KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. Thank you, Walter Parks, for our theme song, WalterParks.com. You can reach me at Nave at JamesNavi.com. Thank you, Devine Dial for managing WPVMFM and Robin Collier for managing KCEI, Cultural Energy Radio out of Taos, New Mexico. So, thanks again for tuning in. I really do appreciate it, and I hope you come back very soon. And until then, I'll catch you on that turnaround somewhere down the line.